If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Buck Sexton, and you're listening to the Tudor Dixon Podcast, part of the Clay Travers and Buck Sexton Podcast Network. Welcome to the Tudor Dixon Podcast. I'm Tudor Dixon, and I'm so glad you are joining me today for this very special conversation on Memorial Day with Staff Sergeant Joey Jones. He is a Fox News contributor and the author of the upcoming book, Unbroken Bonds of Battle. Joey, thank you so much for coming on today. Oh, thanks for having me. Thanks for um, asking me to be on on this special day. And uh, yeah, you know, just like the book, I like to brag on my buddies and my heroes and enjoyed every minute of my service and like to talk about it. So, Well, I'm glad. I saw that you said you were a little bit leery about writing a book at first because you felt like there were already a lot of books out there about service and war <laughs> and that. And you felt like, eh, do I want to add to that? But yours is a little bit different, isn't it? Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, people have told me for years or well, for the years that I've been, especially in media, they said, you know, you should write a book or we'd love to read your story sometime. And although I'm flattered by it, I feel like the war stories are out there. You know, they're in, on a white book with a gold emblem. Usually it's a trident and uh, from a Navy SEAL. And the, those war stories are bombastic and they're true, but they're big and, and larger in life and they're movie worthy. And for me, I just felt like you know, the, my combat experience was had gravity to it, and obviously it, it had some combat involved in it, but I was writing another story in my life and my recovery and the people that I was so fortunate to be around before and after my injury. And that was the story I wanted to tell, but I had to learn how to tell it. And so over the years, I've kind of organized those thoughts. And really what happened, and I don't know if you are asking this question, but the way this book came to be, uh, my buddy Pete Hegseth did this book called Modern Warriors, where he detailed uh, different what he calls modern warriors. And the idea of that book inspired me to like tell my story through the lens of a handful or more service members, warriors, heroes, who were instrumental in my life and had an impact on my life and my recovery. And from it came this book, which is just even so much more than that. You talk about your recovery, and I think that for those of us who watch you all the time, 
I have to remind myself that you went through this because you are so positive and you seem like such a light coming out there speaking on behalf of service members, but also people who've passed. And and it seems like, I think that someone who hasn't served, like in my position, I can look at you and go, he must not have been affected by this because he's just so positive. But it's really a journey that some of us will never understand. So if you could just walk us through, because I'm sure there have been moments that haven't been just like, okay, I'm going to get through this. I'm sure there have been tough moments. And we don't really see that side of you because you're just so positive and joyful. Well, first of all, thank you for the compliment. I'm glad that that's what you see. Um, I don't put effort into it in the sense that it's fake, but I definitely care about showing people that you can get through something and be happy on the other side. You know, adversity, trauma, we don't want trauma for our kids, but trauma is what builds you stronger. It's what makes you a better version of yourself. You know, the the least prepared person in the world is someone who's never had a hardship to go through because they don't have the tools to to work with it on a day-to-day basis. So I'm very fortunate not only to have survived being blown up, but to have gone through something traumatic and been able to reason through it and to get stronger on the other side. Were there tough days? Of course, there are still tough days. There are physically tough days and there are emotionally tough days and mentally tough days. But I don't think I wouldn't have those days even without the injury. Uh, We all have them. You know, one thing I always say when I speak to a crowd is you have this reverence for me because I lost my legs in combat and I'm not upset about it. And I appreciate that. But if I'm standing in front of a crowd at a convention or a gala, chances are they put on nice clothes. They have a date. They've ate a good dinner. They're giving money. If it's a gala, they're learning about their industry. If it's a if it's something like a convention, I'm speaking. They have this reverence for me. But what they don't understand is I don't know what it's like to file for bankruptcy or lose a business or uh, you know, go through a rough divorce or lose a child or both my parents or, you know, have cancer or I'm not dealing with an illness that might yet take my life. But all of those things are present in that audience in that mm-hmm. moment. And the resilience that you have to have to be a human being is inspirational, not just a service member or not just someone who was combat injured. So for me, all I'm trying to do when I point that out is one, point out to people how strong and inspirational they are. And two, point out that We all have a battle, whatever that battle is, we all have it. And none of us is going to let it define us. You know, hopefully if we're healthy mentally and and emotionally, it's not going to be what controls our emotions. I think that's a scary thing for some people to think because they haven't been through that. And we are in a world right now where it's oftentimes pushed that you won't have any struggles. We're going to accept everything. Everything's going to be easy. We're going to try to make things easy. You know, it's funny because just this morning I was at an event where a bunch of businesses were talking and one of the girls in the crowd, a young woman said she was a student and she said to the businesses, how are you going to change to understand my generation? We need flex time. We need people to consider what benefits we need. We're just a different generation. We need you to come around us rather rather than us conform to what you are as a business. And I think, gosh, when you're that age, you've never, many people are fortunate enough to have never experienced some type of tragedy. And I think that 
having not having these discussions, I mean, it was amazing. The whole crowd erupted in applause. They said, yes, we've got to make sure that the students lead the, the workforce and that we listen to them going forward. But that's not really reality. So how do you talk to people about the fact that inevitably, inevitably, you are going to have something tough happen to you? And this generation doesn't necessarily seem like they're prepared for that. It certainly feels that way sometimes. I think ultimately history proves tough times happen. You know, 2008 happened to my generation and what may come of, you know, not to get too political at one time, but what may come of all the spending from COVID may happen to their generation. I don't know. We're still undecided. We don't have a, we don't have a good uh, pulse on that. So tough times will happen. It might be economic. It might be in your life, but you're going to go through something that you don't want to have to go through. The best thing you can do is be prepared for it. And the best way to be prepared for it is not to be averse to trauma or tough times, like, you know, to learn how to get through it. I was born in a 1966 single wide. My dad laid brick and block and my mom cleaned houses. And no, I'm not running for office. That's not why I'm telling you that. (laughs) Um, But I love talking about it because that's who I was for 18 years of my life before I found the Marine Corps and certainly before I found a camera and words to put in front of it. That is the foundation of who I am. That is the type of people I come from and the background I have. Adversity is innate when you're poor. It's a part of it, but it's also opportunity. You can't go anywhere but up, and you can't help but to appreciate the simplest things in life because it's about all you have sometimes. And you know what? We were super happy. We, we were happy. We were full of love and close. We had drama like every other family, you know. I didn't grow up in a trailer park, but I grew up in a park trailer. And uh, <laughs> and so if I hadn't have started there, I don't think my personality, I don't think I would have made near as much out of what I was given. And so for my son, for example, he's a part of this latter Gen Z, I guess he's going to be 14. And I think all the time, like, man, have, am I <laughs> am I making life hard enough for him? He's a lot like me and stuff. He's a whole lot smarter and a whole lot more talented. And I, I worry, like, you know, if he doesn't have the struggle I had, can he be, you know, a better version of me, which is what you want from your son? And then I really think about, well, not all trauma is the same, but all trauma can be of equal value. And so his mom and I were not together when he was conceived. We've never been together. We have raised him, co-parented in a really healthy way. But there have been some struggles and there have been days where I wanted to be there for him and I couldn't. We've had to FaceTime or miss each other. And you know what? That's not easy. That's a little bit traumatic. And I wish it, that weren't the case, but him going through it and us talking about it and him understanding it, that's trauma, but it's building him to be a stronger man when he becomes a man. So uh, my hope is that this generation, as they mature, and it's not age, but experience that brings that wisdom, they understand the value of going through tough times or tough, tough situations rather than working so hard to avoid them. Let's take a quick commercial break. We'll continue next on the Tudor Dixon podcast. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast 
NBA DNA with Hannah Storm digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. We're talking about Memorial Day and people that are lost in battle. And you know, I mean, you experienced that. You lived through losing friends. And I haven't, I obviously have... I'm not I'm not a service member. I haven't served. I haven't lived through that. When you think of this day, what do you tell people who I mean, I, I think a lot of times people walk into this weekend thinking, oh, it's a three day weekend and not really fully feeling the gravity of what we're talking about here. So how do you bring that to people, not in a scary way, but in a way to say these people were there for you in ways you will maybe never understand? I do it every other day and in um 365 days a year every time back to this kind of original comment you asked me about telling my story or a book anytime i talk about me i talk about my buddy daniel greer uh, the bomb i stepped on that took my legs took his life and i cannot tell the events of that day without singing his praises and and making sure people remember his legacy and it is different for me and i'm glad it's different for me and not this way for everyone Memorial Day for me, a lot of people like to say, hey, Memorial Day has names. You know, there are names that are attached to Memorial Day. Well, for me, Memorial Day has memories. You know, I've witnessed mm. what made someone who you celebrate on Memorial Day. I've seen people die in combat and uh, and I've experienced some of their last solemn moments before they went off on an operation that took their life. And so Memorial Day is full is a full breath for me. And it's twofold. One, I'm grateful that if somebody has to know that, that I'm the one that gets to, that I'm the one that, uh, I guess, um, to use the term, bears that cross in a way, and, and, and not everybody has to. Then on the other side, I am honored that I get to share that with people. And Memorial Day is not about making people feel bad. I mean, if you know anything about the military, our funerals are not about making you feel bad. It's a time to celebrate and tell jokes and tell stories and remember who we were in the full breath of our life, not the one moment that, that it, that we expired. And so Memorial day for me is that too, you know, like I have multiple text groups. One of them is a, a set of Marine bomb texts that I served with. 
And within that text group, Memorial Day can be really heavy. But the, some of those same guys will be in another text group, and Memorial Day is jovial and it's fun, and we're telling stories about these guys. And so for me, what I explain to people is just make it mean something. You know, take that opportunity. If there was somebody you worked with whose son passed away, if there's somebody in your family, if there's somebody in your church, your community, make it mean something. Add a name to it and then add a memory to it. And if that memory is after the fact because you reached out to a family member or you learned that person's story, make it personal because it is personal. What is it like to go from to go from combat, to go from that brotherhood and then come back? You obviously had a lot of healing to do, but now you're like everybody knows you. You're in our family rooms every day. What is it like to make that transition and have this big platform? Because I think people like me, like I said, who haven't served and I don't have anybody in my immediate family who have served. I mean, we look up to you. We look at you and we go, look at what this man has been able to do. And it's important for us to see that to know that we are able to raise people up and, and honor them, but also like, what is it like from your perspective to suddenly have this huge platform, be out there on Fox every day and be able to tell these stories? That's a multifaceted question. Um, and I appreciate <laughs> you asking it. So first of all, to be on Fox every day is very surreal. I live on a 40 acre cow farm in rural Gordon County, Georgia. That's where I lay my head when it's where I want it to be, when it's where I chose today. Uh, to go to sleep. And I live among people who majority knew me before I was on television or lost my legs. And it, it got to the point where it was like, hey, if, if I'm going to walk into a restaurant, people are going to know me. I'd rather be people that knew me before TV. And uh, and so that's kind of where I what yeah. I have decided. So I get to work in New York and work in this big city and work in this big way. But it's only to the extent that I get to represent the couple of communities that made me who I am. And one of them is the military. The other one are, are rural Southern Americans. And, um, and so that's where my heart is and that's where my experiences lay. That's where my days off are. And so for me, it's just responsibility. It's honor and responsibility. I have a responsibility to reflect those two communities and how I carry myself and how I speak about things. And I have the, the honor of representing them in that way, you know, when you go on television to discuss topics that people are really passionate about, it's not your job to tell them what to think. All you can do is show them that someone they identify with, someone with a similar background and with similar uh, you know, experiences has had a chance to provide a perspective. One, they feel heard. They feel like somebody is speaking for them. Two, somebody's actually speaking to them. All too often, analysts and commentators almost talk over our head and speak to one another and that I couldn't do it if I wanted to. I'm not that sophisticated, I guess, but that's also not my, not my goal. Uh, my goal is to talk to my mom or my uncle Jeff and, and to make sure they understand why this important thing can have an effect in their life. And that's where it starts and stops. And, um, and I get positive feedback on that. So I guess I figured out a way to do it. So what is your message in the book? I mean, what, what should people expect when they, get the book. It's coming out. When is it coming out? It comes out, out June 27th. Um, so it's on pre-order right now. Um, that's as much as I know. I don't know how this whole process works. There are people that get paid to, to know that part, but I am just so excited about it and what to expect. You learn that relationships are the key to life and, uh, and you don't get through anything on your own. This book profiles or interviews 10 people that are really important in my life. Some of them for the last 20 years and some of them for the last couple of years. 
some of them they'll recognize. Nate Boyer or Wesley Hunt are people I've known and gotten to know. And they're in the book because specific experiences with them were so impactful to me that it colored how I see things or how I respond to things just by knowing them and sharing an experience with them. Others like Keith Stansel, Danny Ridgeway, um, have been my best friend for 10, 20, 30 years now, Keith, since high school. We've been through it all together. We've survived a best friend committing suicide, survived joining the military, survived getting blown up, survived burying friends. And in all of that, they have gone through their own trials and tribulations, most of it connected to military service, but were there for me during mine. And so I'm telling my story through the lens of these relationships that were vitally important that were also service members along the way. A couple of others in there, uh, a guy named Lacey Gano, that's uh, Air Force, uh, I don't know what you call it, cargo plane pilot, refueler pilot, big plane pilot. And he's from West Virginia. He grew up like me, real poor out in what we call a holler. And for him to learn what self-confidence is and self-assurance to be a lieutenant commander and to be teaching 20 year olds how to fly a multi-million dollar plane and to have that moment of realization that sometimes you don't know how important you can be in someone's life until you're in the middle of it and you don't know that you're prepared for something until you have to do it and uh, and just so many lessons like that that go back to how we relate to the people in our lives how we treat them and what we learn from them you've done some work in in government, you've helped to direct policy change for veteran for, for veterans and worked with the Department of Defense. What was that like? How I mean, that's something that we hear. I think from the outside perspective, we hear that in campaigns a lot. We hear people saying we're going to stand up for our veterans. Right now, I think there is a bit of concern over whether or not our veterans are being taken care of when all this money is going being directed into different places. So we have not only the concern of whether our veterans are being taken care of, but also whether or not people are going to join the military in the future. And, and enrollment is down. We see some weird things going on there. And I think there's overall uneasiness. What was it like to be working on the side of policy and helping to do that? And, and what were some of the impactful changes that you think you had? Well, uh, first of all, I'm old. It's been 10 years since I was up there in Congress or more, I guess, 2011 <laughs> and 12 is when I, I worked for the House Veterans Affairs Committee. And so government moves uh, slow. So <laughs> let's face it, that's not that long Fair ago. <laughs> but this identity crisis that our Department of Defense is going through right now, which kind of mirrors, but maybe even a more severe way, the identity crisis of our of our society, that worries me because I don't have experience with that. That wasn't yet taking hold when I was working mm. with the Department of Defense and VA. But back to my time on Capitol Hill working with the VA, um, you know, back then, way back then, the House Veterans Affairs Committee was still a committee a little bit immune to the most awful partisan politics. Uh, Tim Waltz was a representative. Uh, the Governor Tim Waltz was a representative, a Democratic representative on the House Veterans Affairs Committee. And back then, he was a pretty reasonable middle-of-the-road guy when it came to the stuff we were working on. And if you know him in the in the headlines now, he's a pretty partisan governor. And so, you know, back then, we were able to get things done because everyone kind of agreed on the idea that the VA could be better and there was a way to get it done. For me, I worked on the House Veterans Affairs Committee as I was going through the back end of my recovery and transition from active duty to VA. So I was on like the user end and the, and the uh, systems creation end. So I could, I could see the problems and report those right back to the people who have oversight over that entity, the VA. And what I learned was kind of twofold. Number one, 
Congress says in big, broad terms what the VA should do, but the bureaucrats decide how it's done. And then Congress eats up its time arguing over if it's getting done right. And so that is a, a big kind of uh, inefficiency, but it's the separation of power. So it's kind of how we've designed it. And the other thing I learned is that there is no problem throwing money at fixes when it comes to the VA. The VA has as much money as it could ever spend. It's the mm. attempt at oversight that turns into partisan politics that slows that money down. I can give examples that are a little bit kind of layered and nerdy, but what, I, what I'll try to say is, if the VA writes a piece of legislation that says you must provide prosthetic devices, you know, within six months to every combat amputee, how they implement that becomes convoluted. And that's due to policy and red tape. And one party gets in charge and the other party wants to hold them accountable because they think they spent money wrongly. So then they add another form you have to fill out. Now there's 12 forms to make this happen. And it takes seven months to get the forms done and you're supposed to do it in six. So you're never meeting the standard. And those are the problems. And, you know, I could get on a tangent about what I think should happen, but really we have the intent and we have the money. What we don't have is the efficiency. And uh, and that's the problem. So when people say we should take care of our veterans better, there's so many programs and so many initiatives and so many pieces of legislation and opportunities. It, it, so all of that is there. It's just uh, getting leaders in there who can see through the fog and make things happen efficiently and quickly. That's that's what we need to focus on to take care of our veterans. Let's take a quick commercial break. We'll continue next on the Tudor Dixon podcast. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. 
do you see a type of leadership that is helpful that is doing things better or different did you did you ever feel that you know i've been asked this question and if you made me come up with a name it'd be hard to do um and i won't name some of them because they're active duty there are some generals that were colonels when i was in the the marine corps who still to this day understand the lessons they learned and how important it is to be simple about it and not try to make a career out of making a positive change at some point it seems the best of them fall victim to what is inside the beltway. Um, and so I don't know. I think the, the problem that we're transitioning into now, we used to say that um, Marines that get out, that do really well and get out early, get out early because they were successful and they want a new challenge. The ones that kind of aren't that well and they stay in forever, they stay in forever because they're used to it and they don't, they're scared to have to be challenged in some other way. I'm starting to believe that the folks in charge of our military kind of abide by that same rule. So I don't know if it's we need talent retention or an overhaul of how we promote, but I will tell you this. If you have a general or a bureaucrat who's as focused on their own personal success as the success of their responsibilities, that is not the way forward. And that's the concern I have. I think that goes with yeah. any anybody. I mean, that's been my complaint, even having run for yeah. office and kind of seeing the dynamics from a different perspective is like if you have someone who is trying to personally be someone rather than someone who is trying to serve and do yeah. something then you should have a red flag go up but it's sometimes it's hard to tell i mean especially when someone's running for office you don't always know that the goal is very self-motivated but it's definitely a message no matter what industry you're in that can be really very toxic if you have somebody that is all about self because everything is kind of a team absolutely right? you know you look at some of the presidents and generals of the past will say jackson or uh you know andrew jackson or um macarthur i mean their faults were they wanted to win too much they pushed too hard to win you know they they pushed too hard to achieve too much you have to believe they were driven by a lot of personal ambition but their ambition was a positive thing in a lot of ways. They were pushing too right. hard to strengthen what they were responsible for. I can work with that. Those people, if they existed today, might still need to be held in check. I mean, if it were up to MacArthur, would probably own China and not be fighting against it right now. And uh, it, But with that being said, at least the end result of their efforts had a positive outcome in some way. What we have now are a little bit more astute, perhaps, leaders who see a weakness in our society and say that it's almost like they drill into that weakness. It's like you drill into a sore tooth to, to get the emotions stirred up. And I don't understand how they yeah. see that oh, as yeah. a positive. Uh, you know, the Marine Corps is going through a big change right now. And the big discrepancy or the big dispute over this change is the commandant of the Marine Corps realized that the only way to make Congress happy in the short term was to make a big change that said the right things and then show them how they wouldn't have to pay for it so they wouldn't have to be on the hook for it. And in doing so, it made other parts of the Marine Corps weak. And so, you know, by building his, and I don't know this is his motivations, but, but kind of building his name as the man who changed the Marine Corps, he's also exposing us in other ways. Is there a better way to do it? Did Congress not give him an opportunity to do it better? So much about the decisions are, does this make me look bad? Will this stop me from getting reelected? And it really should be, does this accomplish the mission? Well, you mentioned something about 
not really understanding this generation of what what's happening in the military, what's going on. I don't know if you're referring to some of the things that we're seeing, but I think from an outsider's perspective, we see this advertising, this drag person advertising, come and join the military. And everything inside of me says, I don't think that that's how you get people there. I mean, that seems like that's not the right message. And we keep seeing these things that are happening. I mean, they're happening in businesses. It seems very strange for this to be the military, to this to be happening in the military. But there's a lot of equity and and diversity and inclusion and all of this happening in a place where you think that, wow, the focus really has to be the mission. And I imagine that you have to be really focused out there in the bat on the battlefield to make sure that you are not only safe, but you're keeping everyone around you safe. How does that, I mean, when you see that stuff now, does that surprise you? Is it, is it, does it seem almost silly to think that that's the important thing when you're out on the battlefield? At face value, it would be surprising. A drag queen as a spokesperson for the Navy sounds like a joke that we used to tell. <laughs> but really, those are symptoms. Those aren't the problem. And really, they're not even hmm. the, the expression of the problem, or maybe that's all they are. And let me explain. We are all connected through these devices to millions of people. That has never been hmm. the case before. As a society, we have never felt less relevant as human beings. And that's a problem. If you came home from Vietnam, and I look at it from a male's perspective, but you can flip the script. If you came home from Vietnam, and you married the high school homecoming queen from your senior year, and you took over your dad's hardware store, and you bought that house on Main Street, man, you are a celebrity in your world. You accomplished, over, surpassed every goal you could have set for yourself, and you have made it. You accumulated the wealth and notoriety that you could only dream of in that amazing town that built you. That wouldn't even scratch the surface of self-relevance that this generation feels because none of those things matter on TikTok or Instagram or Twitter or to a million people because they haven't heard of Dalton, Georgia or, or Georgetown, Texas. And, and so the problem therein lies, when you're asked to join the military, you're asked to give up all those selfish desires to be relevant, to be important. You're asked to only stand out through your actions and merit, not through your individuality. What you're asked to do is to conform to look exactly like the person to your left and right, skin color notwithstanding, haircut, clothes, demeanor, expression, um, how you literally the micro mannerisms of how you carry your body should be uniform. You are nothing more and nothing less than a cog in this machine that will defend our country. You can't do that unless you're raised with a certain amount of security in who you are that this generation doesn't have. They are in a constant drought and struggle and thirst for acknowledgement and, and relevance because they are comparing themselves to millions of people at a time. So under that lens, it does not surprise me at all that regulations are being changed, that you can dye your hair however you want to, paint your fingernails however you want to, be a drag queen if you want to. So for me, it's not the, it's not the identity politics of it. It is the personal identity crisis that our entire culture is going through that is also going to affect men and women joining the military. You can't ask people to become a number in a crowd unless they have a good understanding of who they are already. 
and we're not getting 18 year olds to have that anymore. That's the problem. Of course, it's going to infect infect our military. It's going to infect our young leaders. It's going to infect a generation. It's going to infect our government, our media. And that's where we are. I, I don't know what the solution is other than good parenting and understanding a problem. But that, to me, is the root cause. I don't think I've ever heard it said that well. Honestly, I mean, that was powerful. And I think it's powerful as a parent. I'm also, my oldest is about to turn 14. And so I'm in that same situation right now. And that alone is an identity crisis. You're at an age where everything is hard. But that was very meaningful to me as a mom to say, yeah, this is something that I need to instill in them that their identity is not found in social media. Their identity is not found in a phone, that their identity is found in their faith and in themselves. And so I think you, you might have hit on the solution. How we get there is, is a different thing. But I am so grateful that you are sharing Memorial Day with us. And, and I appreciate you coming on. Staff Sergeant Joey Jones, make sure you check out his book, Unbroken Bonds of Battle. Where, When they want to order it, where do they get it? The best way to pre-order is foxnewsbooks.com. And then come June, it'll be available in most bookstores and pretty much everywhere you shop for a book. Thank you so much. You are amazing. I appreciate you coming on today. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. And thank you all for joining us on the Tudor Dixon Podcast. As always, for this episode and others, go to TudorDixonPodcast.com. You can subscribe right there, or you can go to iHeartRadio app or Apple Podcasts, anywhere you get your podcasts. So thank you so much. We'll see you next time on the Tudor Dixon Podcast. And everybody, have a wonderful Memorial Day. Two-thirds of Americans are at risk to experience a blackout. Are you ready to protect your family? You could be with the Patriot Power Solar Generator 2000X. This new solar generator has double the capacity and is expandable, so you can run the big appliances like your fridge even longer. Best of all, this new solar generator is fume-free, safe to use inside, and never needs gas, ever. Over 150,000 Americans trust Patriot Power Generators. Go to 4patriots.com tutor to get your solar generator. Now you'll even get a solar panel included free. Go to fourpatriots.com slash tutor. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing dirty sports scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics. Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.